Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK, the nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany, and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a one trillion dollar tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk/greattalent to see how you can work, live, and move to the UK. As a guitarist in my free time, my life was usually filled with the soothing melodies of music and the rhythmic strumming of strings. Little did I know that my next mission would involve a different kind of harmony, the harmony of a well-coordinated special forces operation. My name is Jocko, and I led a seasoned special forces team known for our precision and efficiency. Our latest assignment was to protect a high-ranking defector from a rival nation. This defector possessed critical intelligence that could reshape the geopolitical landscape, and our mission was to ensure his safe extraction from a city crawling with enemy agents. The rendezvous point was an inconspicuous alley in the heart of a bustling metropolis. My team and I had spent weeks preparing for this operation, studying every inch of the city's layout, scrutinizing the enemy's known movements, and fine. Tuning our tactics. This was a high-stakes game of cat and mouse, and couldn't afford to lose. The defector, known by the codename Phoenix, had entrusted us with sensitive information that could change the course of history. His decision to defect came at a high cost. He had seen the darkness within his own government and felt the weight of his conscience bearing down on him. We had to ensure his safety at all costs. The extraction was scheduled for the dead of night. When the city's chaotic energy somewhat waned, the dimly lit alley was cloaked in shadows, and the tension was palpable as we awaited Phoenix's arrival. Our intel had suggested that the enemy had gotten wind of the defector's plans, and their agents were prowling nearby. Finally, he emerged from the darkness, his face masked with uncertainty and fear. Phoenix was a man who had lived a double life for far too long. And his trust in us was unwavering. We quickly ushered him into our waiting vehicle, all the while keeping a watchful eye on the surroundings. The city's labyrinthine streets were filled with potential threats. As we navigated the maze, it became evident that the enemy was closing in. They were determined to prevent the intelligence from falling into the wrong hands. The chase was on, and our team had to use every ounce of our training and experience to evade capture. Gunfire erupted, and we were forced to engage the enemy agents in a high-speed pursuit through the city's narrow streets. Our vehicle weaved through the urban landscape, tires screeching, while bullets whizzed past us. The mission hung in the balance, and it was clear that we were up against a formidable adversary. But we had a secret weapon in our arsenal: our unwavering determination to protect Phoenix and ensure the safety of the critical intelligence he carried. We fought relentlessly, using our training and teamwork to outmaneuver our pursuers. With each passing minute, we distanced ourselves from the enemy agents. Our radio crackled with updates from our support team, who guided us to an extraction point. The exhilaration of the chase was met with the anxious anticipation of reaching safety. As we neared the extraction point, the city's skyline disappeared in the rearview mirror, and a sense of relief washed over us. 
We had successfully protected Phoenix and the critical intelligence. Our mission had been a success, and the world would soon learn the truth about the rival nation's dark secrets. Back in the calm of our base, I couldn't help but reflect on the duality of my life. From strumming guitars in my free time to leading special forces teams on high-stakes missions. Our work was never easy, but it was essential safeguarding the values we held dear. I had the most frightening encounter while fishing on a lake in northern Minnesota in a rowboat. Late one night I saw something appear above the tree line at the end of the bay. It was cold and it had a weird shape. Then it dropped down above the water and flew directly over my head at UFO speed and stopped. Not knowing what it was, I just glanced up and saw a pure evil mass hovering above my head. I got a feeling of dread as soon as I made eye contact and thought my life was over. Several things went through my mind. That second I thought maybe I was about to be abducted, even though I'd never heard of UFOs looking like a black cloud, and that the only thing that I could do to save myself was to pray to God. And I did. It hovered for about 20 seconds and then flew off exactly the same way it flew out. This was also seen by a friend from shore having a smoke out on his dock, looking for me. As soon as it left, I frantically paddled my way back to shore, looking back thinking that it could return. Words can't explain the level of terror that I had that night. It was pure evil and still haunts me to this day. Just not knowing what it was still bothers me because what I saw that night doesn't exist in our world, but it was real. My friend and I sat at the kitchen table asking each other what that was. Nothing comes to mind that's what's so troubling. This changed my life forever. I'd never go outdoors at night by myself anymore, worrying that it might return. After that night, I went through some of the hardest times of my life. Strings of bad luck. I ended up getting fired at work and lost my house and also had heart issues and nearly lost my life. This all happened after that night. It was like an attachment. I still look up to the sky whenever I'm out at night, fearing it might return. All I know is that whatever it was, it had to have come from a different dimension because what I saw that night just doesn't exist in our world. I'd only glanced at it for a few seconds, but that was enough to know it was pure evil because when you're not a religious person and you think the only thing that can save you at that moment is to pray to God, then you know you're scared. It looked like a black cloud moving, like it was alive. It was about 20 feet by maybe 15 feet wide. I had my two dogs with me that night and they were so scared they were trying to hide under my legs. When this happened, they were so scared they jumped out of the boats when we got close to shore. So I landed in my muck up to my knees and couldn't get to shore fast enough. When I ran up to the cabin, the door was locked, so I pounded on the door until he opened it. Not knowing my friend had seen it from the dock, I came in with mud up to my knees, and he didn't even notice. That's when I noticed his hands were trembling from fear, so I asked him what was wrong. Before even telling him of my encounter, he told me what he saw from the dock. It was exactly what I had seen hovering over my head. We spent the rest of the night drinking at the table, trying to make sense of what had happened, but couldn't come up with explanations. 
Since that night he won't ever spend any time at his cabin anymore, and you couldn't pay me enough money to ever return. I and two other guys were moving cattle from the eastern side of Bighorn National Forest, Wyoming. We got up early one morning and started working just as dawn was breaking. At one point, three of us saw this tall, thick creature standing along the forest edge, watching us. One guy took three shots at it about 50 yards away with a 30 slash 30. It screamed, and we heard others crashing in the bush. We got our things together quickly as I wanted to lead our horses away from the wood line to give ourselves an edge in case we got charged. We would have more time to act and our feet would be on the ground in case of an attack moving south along the edge of the forest. We could occasionally hear something moving along with us. We turned east, heading for the town and found a group of hunters camped out. So I decided to make camp with them. I felt like I had to tell the guide what was up. I didn't want to bring any problems to their camp, but I felt like I didn't have much of a choice. That night we sat and listened to something a ways off just wailing for hours. Thankfully the guide had no problem helping us, and most of all he was glad we told him nothing happened that night. The guy who shot at the thing quit as soon as we got back and we never heard from him again. I will say I feel if we hadn't found a hunting party we would have had a fight on our hands. That was in 1979, and I'll never forget the sounds these things make. My name is Nathan, and I am a researcher on the subject of Bigfoot sightings. Over the years, I have heard countless stories about encounters with these elusive creatures, but one story in particular has always stood out to me. It's the story of Hav Trant and his encounter with two big feet in the Deschutes National Forest. I first heard about this incident through a mutual friend of Hav's who put me in touch with him. After weeks of trying to arrange a meeting, I finally got the chance to sit down with Hav and hear his story in person. Hav was hesitant to speak at first, but as I explained my interest in the subject and my willingness to keep his identity confidential, he began to open up. He told me about how he and his wife were avid hikers and would often venture out into the wilderness to explore. On July 13, 1996, Av and his friend Dustin were hiking up a steep slope in the Deschutes National Forest when a slipped and broke his leg. He passed out from the pain, but when he regained consciousness he was face to face with two big feet. The creatures were massive, standing at seven half to eight feet tall with broad shoulders and large feet. One was a gray-white color, while the other was a sandy gray with a white ruff on its head. I couldn't tell if they were male or female due to their hairiness, but he could see that they had small mouths and no whites in their eyes. The big feet were making noises at each other, but I couldn't understand what they were saying. He passed out again, and when he woke up, he was lying on the ground near his wife, who had been waiting for him at the trailhead. She told him that two ape-men had carried him out of the forest and left him there. His wife described the creatures as horribly ugly with long hair except on their faces, heads, and feet. She was visibly shaken by the encounter, and Hav was left with a broken leg, a story that no one would believe, and a sense of unease that would stay with him for the rest of his life. As I listened to Hav's story, I couldn't help but feel a sense of awe and wonder. Here was a man who had come face to face with one of the greatest mysteries of our time, and yet he was met with skepticism and disbelief. 
I knew that I had to keep his story alive to share it with others who were just as fascinated by the unknown as I was. But when I tried to contact Tab again a few months later, I found out that he had moved without leaving a forwarding address. It was as if he had disappeared, leaving behind only his incredible story and a sense of mystery that would linger for years to come. To this day, I continue to search for answers about Bigfoot and the many other unexplained phenomena that surround us. And while I may never know the truth about Hav's encounter, I will always be grateful for the chance to hear his incredible story and to be reminded that there is still so much we don't know about the world around us. Not me, but my cousin in the 80s was on a camping trip with his wife. It wasn't a busy day for camping, and according to my cousin, the ranger told them that they were the only ones camping there that night. Anyway, so it's getting late, and my cousin said he spots something across the lake. He thought it was a bear standing, so he grabs his binoculars. It was sort of like a bear, but it was standing up on its hind legs. He said it wasn't a bear because it had a face like a 70-year-old man, and the fur was longer than a bear. He thought maybe it was someone in a suit, but it disappeared quickly. Whatever it was, he was so spooked and wanted to leave the park immediately. His wife thought he was being ridiculous, though, and just having an overactive imagination. She had brought a shotgun and insisted that they be fine if anything happened. That night, everything is going fine until my cousin is awakened by footsteps. Now, his wife is still asleep at this point, but he doesn't want to wake her. He just tries to keep still and quiet as possible. A figure approaches the tent. My cousin said he was positioned so that his head was on the corner of the tent. This figure leans down and gently presses its hand around the corner of the tent. So the figure is basically putting its hands around my cousin's head. I don't remember how long he said this lasted, but this figure eventually left. My cousin said it smelled like mechanical things, like someone working on a car, although he heard no car. The next morning, everything at the campsite was untouched, no problems at all. My cousin didn't mention anything about finding footprints, and there wasn't any evidence that someone had been there. He eventually went and researched. The area and discovered that their camping area is supposedly a hot spot for Bigfoots and such. He firmly believes that he saw some kind of Sasquatch. I'm not sure if I believe him. If anything, I always thought it was just a person messing with him. I actually have several other stories, but I didn't want a post to drag on, and I thought it would be too overwhelming. In the early spring of 1995, a friend of mine and I had just finished a construction job in Vancouver, Washington, and were heading back home to Oklahoma. We left Vancouver in the late afternoon and made our way down the highway that runs parallel to the Columbia River. I cannot remember the hash of the road. Just after dark, we approached. What the sign said was, the Columbia River Gorge. Seeing as how it was dark, we did not see much. The road started to bend south a bit, and we came to the first incline, and in the headlights of my truck appeared this figure. At first I thought it was some animal that was crossing the road, but as we got closer and the lights of the truck became more focused on it, we realized that it was not a common animal. 
It looked to be about three to four feet tall, with the strangest red-colored hair covering its body. But the thing is, it was sitting in the road facing us with one leg straight out and the other leg out too, its right side. And it was trying to push itself up, as if it had been hit by a car. Well, I had to swerve into the other lane to avoid hitting the poor thing. All this took place in about a minute or so. My friend and I never said a word until after it was over a minute or so, I said Charlie. Did you see that? And he replied I wasn't going to say nothing till you said something, but yes. We thought right off of going back, but had decided that since it was so small that mother could be nearby and we both, being avid hunters, were armed, but, but what we saw was no mule deer or bear or anything else that we had stalked in the past, so we kept driving just to be on the safe side. Back when I was in high school, some friends and I went out to get some food at about 2 a.m. While we were driving, one friend said something like, Why us that guy out jogging at 2 a.m. dressed like that? We looked, and sure enough, there was what looked like a guy dressed in all black, including pants and a hoodie. We live in Phoenix, and even at 2 a.m. during the summer, it's way too hot to be dressed like that. After about 30 seconds of this guy jogging by us, though, the driver mentioned that, uh, guys, I'm going 45. How is he keeping up with us? We took the first turn we could, and to this day, I still don't know who what that was. For the Thanksgiving break in 1996, Ori was camped on the Abaqua. Sharon Jones contacted him and said he should come to the Bigfoot camp on the Malala River, which he did. As he pulled into the campground around 8.30 p.m., two big feet appeared in his headlights about 60 feet away. Both of the 11-foot reddish-brown creatures ran into the woods. Ori set out a rabbit in a cage to attract them back, illuminating them with glow sticks, putting a few on trees also, at the six-foot level so they could see if something passed in front of them. He had spotlights mounted around the camp and his son Stephen, 18, was running the video camera from inside the camper on the top bunk. All of a sudden a head walked past under the window, and Stephen came flying away, almost bumping heads with the creature as it passed by. The head was hairy, but he could see the face. He screamed it was right outside, a face the size of a garbage can lid. They could see a hand cover the rabbit cage, and they turned on the lights in the cam quarter just as something passed for a brief instant in front of the camera so close that all they recorded was a blur. It was 9 p.m. and the thing appeared 9-10 feet tall from the upper bunk. There was nothing else that night. Friends Mark and Chance camped nearby didn't see anything. The next morning was cloudy and drizzly. Mark and Chance left and Stephen and Ori played cards until Mark returned but left again at dark. There was a strong smell of something dead, skunk-like and musty in the air. Then they heard a weird sound of something running that was gassy. Farts. Making a blop, blop, blop. Noise, but they couldn't see anything out the window. It was 8.30, dark, but a little moonlight, plus the glow sticks were hung in the trees again. At 9 p.m., one glow stick starting going dark, then the first Bigfoot came by, followed by a second one. They were both huge, and we watched them go back and forth, running in a crisscross pattern, like the flush game, and apparently hunting as a group. 
One would cross from right to left, the other from left to right, the pattern possibly spooking game to run into the Bigfoot approaching from the opposite direction. They hung around camp for twenty minutes, stopping at the rabbit, but turning and going back into the woods rapidly, never staying in one place long enough to switch the lights or camera on. They were incredibly fast. I'm a ranger in Yosemite National Park. I believe that I've seen what people refer to as a real-life alien spaceship. I even touched it with my bare hands. It was a few years back when I was still quite new to the job, May 7th in 2003 to be exact. I was patrolling an area because a report stating that a strange sound was being heard there every night past midnight. Light shows like a full laser light were in display. Some speculated that teenagers were having a party in the woods past midnight as the reason behind these noises. But come on, none of that even made sense. A couple of rangers were already investigating the case. After not finding much, I was also added to the case. I was only 23 at the time and full of enthusiasm to solve it. I investigated everything from testimonies to the witnesses themselves, surveying the whole area. I tracked possible suspects, and I even began camping on those said sites. There were a couple of places, but initially it's all in one big area. There were six places on the list, and I camped every night on the spot. I grew more and more aware of what the woods looked like at night, especially the creatures that come out when the sun sets. I have witnessed a human disappearance of thin air. I witnessed glowing insects flickering in different light, things I've documented. It was 2003, so the phone camera was not really viable. Unfortunately, I had no clear evidence of these things. It was the last place on the list. It was around five, and I was setting up camp when suddenly all my gadgets started producing those strange static noises. I thought of going back since my equipment might be faulty, but it was strange since at that time. Everything was fine just the day before. Then every single one would malfunction. After a couple of minutes, it stopped and everything was back to normal. I did not have high hopes of finding them. The problem at some point is that I realize this might not be what seems after everything I've witnessed so far, but it was definitely not going to be normal. Now I've told all my discoveries to my fellow rangers. Some believed and others laughed. To those who believed, they said they saw the same thing, but when they went back to look for it, it was gone. It was never in the same place. It's like it would only want to show itself in the right time and right place, and then vanish forever. At first, I had some hope, but they were right. I came to the exact same spot. I moved around the area, but nothing. It was really gone. As I was having my dinner that night at the last spot, the moon was full and beautiful. As I was chowing down on my food, my eyes caught a flash of light. It was only for a moment, but I saw it, and somewhere had come from like a beacon of light. It showed me the way. I went towards to what I believe was the spot, and then my walkie. Talkie began going haywire, producing this strange static noise. I turned it off immediately in fear it would alert whatever this thing was responsible. I searched and searched and searched. Finally, it was around 10 p.m., but nothing. 
I felt like giving up, and suddenly a strong breeze blew from my left side. I turned, and there I saw it like a huge egg with rings like Saturn slowly lifting up. It was hovering and producing this weird sound like a deep engine noise. I hid behind a tree, heart pounding like crazy. This was it. At the time, I felt like this was it. This was the unrevealed side of this world, and I'm witnessing it. I crouched down, kept observing it, like an egg surrounded by rotary rings. It was pitch black and then the metallic glow reflecting light from the moon. I might not have any clues as to what I'm seeing, but I know for certain it was nothing made from Earth. I was captivated, and then suddenly its outer shell cracked. Even the rings on those cracked were lights. Neon blue were close to that color. Out of nowhere, four metallic pipes extended from this thing. It acted as a stand, supporting this large ship. I crouched in that spot, not daring to move for what felt like an hour, and there was nothing else that changed after the stand came out of it. It's like it froze in place still, and I didn't dare to move. I kept looking at it with haggard breath. I felt a couple more hours pass when something happened. The cracks on the surface closed up, and it went back to how it used to be. Then nothing more happened for a while. It slowly stood up, and I tried my best to sneak up to it. A turtle's pace. I made sure to avoid making as much noise as possible. Just a couple more meters, and I would be up close and personal to it. I was now on all fours, crawling like a dog just to get close to it. I lifted my hand and managed to touch it. It was like how I imagined it smooth with a metallic texture. I was about to caress it when a high-pitched noise sounded. It felt like my eardrums would break. I clutched my ears with my hands, and the next thing I know, I wake up in a hospital bed. I was found unconscious by a ranger, taken to the hospital after not being responsive. They walked among us. I know it. I've seen it. I am still searching for evidence. I believe that the high-pitched sound was a warning that a human had found them. The ship probably left in a hurry. They have become more aware, hopefully a lot less active, too. One time, me and my friend decided to go to a popular park nearby in Arkansas. We found a path that we had always seen but never heard of anyone going down. We decided to follow it to see where it goes. Mind you, this park used to be a popular dumping site for bodies about ten years ago, but it's one of those things people refuse to talk about. Anyways, we get about ten minutes down the path and off to our right. There is a itty-bitty opening where there is no trees growing, if I had to guess. It was only about four feet by eight feet. I hear what sounds like a shovel digging, so I tell my friend to be quiet. The only people that should be this far in would be park rangers, but I look over and see a man. No uniform. He has an ATV, and there is no way for him to get the ATV through the thick woods to where he was at. The path wasn't even big enough for it. We stop and hide for a moment. We were kids in high school, and I was older, so she waited for me to make a decision. All I'm thinking is I see a man, through thick brush, digging in the middle of an old popular dumping site. I tell her to not say a word and turn around. 
we leave. We never said anything about it for five years because we didn't know what to do. We never saw a body, but the brush was super thick. She had forgot about it until I mentioned it recently. Finally, a chance for me to tell my story. About ten years ago, my family and I were up in the White Mountains of Arizona to cut down our Christmas tree. My dad was driving our truck with my grandfather in the front seat, and my mom and sister in the back seat. I was in the bed of the truck, along with our family's German short-haired pointer. We were driving along a forest road, and all of a sudden my dog starts barking and growling. So I look to see what it is, thinking it is maybe a bear or mountain lion. What I saw was a tall, dark figure walking parallel to the road just about 60 to 70 yards away. I yelled at my dad to stop the truck when I told him I think I see Bigfoot. He just laughed and continued to drive. When I looked back to get another look at it, the figure had changed directions and was walking away from the road. The last thing I saw was the thing's head disappearing down a hill. To this day, I still do not have an explanation for what I saw. And every time the situation comes up, my dad always makes me tell everyone my story just so he could laugh. Me and my brother had the same vivid nightmare at the exact same time in the same bed. Scariest dream either of us have ever had. About 15 seconds long. Mother comes upstairs with tray of cinnamon rolls in morning, asks us if we want some. We both are like we're sick of canned cinnamon rolls. She gets pissed, reaches behind her ear, and peels her face off, revealing a slimy green alien-like monster with the really pointy long teeth. We know she's going to kill us. This nightmare is set in the exact surroundings we were in. Waterbed in a loft area. We freak out. My older brother starts running, jumps from the loft to the living room. She, it runs after him, which gives me time to run downstairs. She, it doesn't jump down from loft. I get to living room, running for front door. I see my brother make it outside. Two seconds later, I make it through the threshold. Then I immediately wake up, turn to my brother. We're both sweating and heart racing. We proceed to take turns describing the nightmare we just had. We could not stop talking about it for months. Our mother eventually guilt tripped us into not mentioning it again. By far the craziest thing that's ever happened to me and my brother. I think it was some kind of warning sent to us to not trust our mother. If so, it was a good warning to give our mother. Something broke in her long ago during her divorce or something. She is beyond strange. I still have no idea what turned her into what she is. Always been really poisonous. I was in fourth and my brother was in seventh when this happened. Nothing at all similar happened again. No nightmare has ever matched the perfect realism. It's like it happened yesterday. I'm 48 now. This event altered the way I think about many things.